Hey, Brandon. Hi, Chris. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Life is uh, life is all right. Life's all right for me too. Yeah, we've had we've had people actually talking to us on Twitter about our podcast, um, which is a new and just phenomenal uh, development. Yeah, I'm like, where were all you people in junior high when I was sitting alone at the lunch table <laughs> next to the kid drawing Sonic fan art? If only I knew we were destined to be friends. But at the time, that was socially unacceptable behavior. So I didn't talk to that person. And nobody talked to me. But now with Twitter, we have the, the lunch table where the Sonic fan art kids get to sit next to me. And then we talk <laughs> about stuff. And it's great. This podcast has turned into a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> let's not yeah let's not let's not reminisce too much about junior high yeah. it was not it was not our best moment not mine at least it's like this is like jude the obscure but like the millennial edition like just the saddest like, never mind <laughs> it's definitely my so-called life <laughs> yeah so one of the things that has come up recently uh our friend of the show i think we can just call him friend of the show now sam selkoff mm-hmm. who uh Responded to our burnout episode a while ago, specifically asking about how burnout applies to someone who works for themselves or or runs their own business or however you want to phrase it. And you hopped right in uh, with some interesting responses and, and pretty quickly it became apparent that you have a lot to say on the matter and that that might be a very good thing to talk about on this podcast. Uh, yeah. Because burnout, we think of burnout as being like a a very like systemic thing, I think, within an organization. But Sam was pointing out like, well, if there, even if there is no organization, you can still definitely get burned out. So how's that work? Yeah, I think what we'll uncover in the in the course of our exploration is that even if you own your own business, you are in a system, you know, you're in a, yeah. uh, an environment. We live in a society, as my friend Stanley likes to say. <laughs> yeah. But the topic of sort of entrepreneurship, the, the sort of the perils of the false promises of running a business, uh, like definitely occur to me as a former business owner, pr- probable future business owner. I think that's a topic that's really fun to talk about, particularly in the tech industry, because there is a sense that everybody is supposed to do this at some point where there's an expectation. We, we vaunt and these entrepreneurs put them on a pedestal. Success is celebrated. Failure is celebrated. Trying is celebrated. We, we hold this up to say like people who start businesses are the heroes of this story uh, in the uh, Ayn Randian like sense of the, you know, these are your John Galt. These are the people that are the true heroes. The protagonists are out there starting the business and the cowards who choose to work for somebody else are the, the non-playable characters. And I mean, and that's an over dramatization, but it's not that much of one. I don't think. So I just want to point that, that, that environment, the environment and air that we breathe where, you know, if you've ever worked for a company, you're like, Oh my God, that's the CEO of the company. Or and even if you work in a small company and a 10 person company, you know, like there's a person over there, they're really, you know, they're doing God's work. They're raising the money. They're doing this They're you know, whatever the CEO is supposed to do, that's what they're doing. There are reasons for that. And there's a sense that I wonder if that's supposed to be me someday. And I don't know that many people that don't indulge in that fantasy ever at all. Like, I don't know that many people, like if I were to peg, like out of all of my circle friends, if I were to pick a person that is like least likely to look at the CEO and be like, I wonder if that should be me. It's you like, (laughs) yeah, that's probably true. I don't know why, but that this is like a thing that you and I have talked about many times in our, our friendship, uh, as like, I couldn't tell you why that doesn't interest me at all. Maybe we'll figure it out on this podcast, but yeah. Boy, doesn't it? You have a really finely honed pain in the ass meter for one thing. You're like, well, that looks like a giant pain in the ass. Like (laughs) somebody (laughs) run the cost benefit on that. Yeah. What other people sort of like the the thing that carries you over that is that is this idea that this is this, you know, this is the thing on the pedestal. And that's the epitome of success is is basically exiting. Right. In our Mm. industry, success is an exit. And it kind of doesn't matter. Like if you had a successful exit, quote unquote, it kind of doesn't matter if it was a break-even exit or a multi-billion dollar exit. Having mm-hmm. sold a business and saying you sold a business is 
it's like a, a token that you get to carry around yeah. for the rest of your career. Like it's like a merit badge. Yeah. And it's a very, it's a difficult, it's difficult to earn. And so yeah. it's an extremely coveted merit badge in our industry, a successful exit. And so I, as a business owner, re remember fantasizing about that all the time. And when I had a couple of opportunities, I was like, God, this is a terrible deal for us and everyone in this company, but I would get the merit badge and I want that. And I didn't wind up in ultimately taking the deal for a, a complex set of reasons, but the, I just, my ego was screaming for it. Like, please mm. let me carry that merit badge around. I want, you know, I want that on my LinkedIn profile. I want, you know, I want to be able to have that conversation with people. It's just so cool to be able to say, Hey, yeah, I did this. And then, you know, I exited successfully. And then we did this other thing. It's a thing that you can use to sort of like, it's not just a merit badge. It's the kind of merit badge that opens doors. It's the kind of merit badge that lets you do this again if you want to. And you go to somebody and you're like, well, listen to this guy. He had a successful exit. So yeah. there's a lot that our society holds dear about entrepreneurship. And I kind of want to talk about the difference between entrepreneurship and business ownership because they are different. And we view those differently. Uh, that's a good place to start because yeah. as soon as you said that, I was like, uh, hmm, I don't. I don't think I could answer that question in a way that felt remotely coherent. But you don't have to be coherent. Think about, just describe a, describe the difference to me. Describe what a business owner is to you in your mind when you think about a business owner. I feel, I mean, to, to me, the distinction is like a business owner is a very, kind of a very like low level description. It is just a person who owns a business and like does the books and deals with the day to day versus an entrepreneur is this, this, this ideas like this evocative word about like the kind of person that may own that business mm -hmm. but like you know one could be a business owner and not really be entrepreneurial but if you're entrepreneurial you are likely a business owner yeah but not always but yeah yeah it, it's a well it's french first and foremost so it's pretty mm -hmm. fucking fancy so mm -hmm. i'm not a business owner mm -hmm. i'm an entrepreneur However you say that. <laughs> sorry, anybody who speaks French. I'm very, very sorry. I'll stop. But, but it, you know, we, we, it, it has a, you know, it's tinged with, uh, like the exotic flair because it's a different language and it's the, probably the prettiest language. So mm -hmm. there's that. And, but a business owner is like a locksmith to me. You're like, mm, oh, I own okay. a laundromat. I own a building where people come in, put coins in a thing. Coins go in, coins come out. There's a margin. And every month the business makes some amount of money. Sometimes it doesn't make as much as others. You know, there are challenges associated with it, but there, it's the amount of risk I'm embarking on is, you know, relatively predictable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, I'm a, you know, I'm, I drive a, I drive a, you know, a, a locksmith truck where I cut keys for people. I own my own business. I set my own hours, blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. th these are sort of like unglamorous and entrepreneurship is is meant to be this sort of like risk taking thing where you're like, mm, I eat risk for breakfast. And I, you know, so they're convincing people to part with money for an idea that doesn't yet exist. They're not taking yeah. out a small business loan. They're pitching angel investors and VCs. So in the tech industry, we frown on business, small businesses. Uh, small businesses are people who take, you know, relatively low risk uh, business ideas, uh, mm -hmm. take a side project and try to turn it into, you know, try to turn it into something that generates some part-time revenue. And that's very unappealing to our ecosystem. So anyway, that's, that's kind of like, I just want to sort of separate those things out. So we're talking about when we talk about what people are sort of drawn to, like, you know, like the, the, the bug zapper of our industry that's always flashing at us is uh, this idea of entrepreneurship of mm -hmm. like, you know, striking out to, you know, go face the harsh, seas and hopefully discover a new continent. And that's, uh, th there's the sort of romanticized vision of what, what entrepreneurs do. That's as far as I want to push that difference from this point forward. I don't want to make any more distinctions about the two because okay. in reality, they're basically the same thing. I think the distinction that we draw, uh, just on the, um, continuum of risk is like one of them is, you know, in the middle of risk taking no risk is borderline impossible. You take a risk walking out the door and then, you know, taking extreme stupid risks, which entrepreneurs sometimes do. But like, so if you look at that continuum, people that we would label as business owners and frown upon or whatever are kind of just in, in the middle or even toward more closer to the entrepreneur side than they are to the no risk side. So 
from this point forward, I just wanted to say like this is why I think we as a you know tech community view them differently, but they're really like much more close than you know, this is a person doing something difficult and scary, which is to say, I don't need a boss, I'll be my own. Thank you very much. And uh we'll figure out we'll figure out the money thing. Yeah, no one ever talks about like so and so as a serial business owner. Yeah. Or I mean they might, but it would sound weird and it wouldn't really connote that many things but serial entrepreneur is this incredibly loaded kind of bullshit yeah accolade that people like to bestow on others yeah nobody says they're a serial chipotle franchisee (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess you could Uh, say i'm a serial i'm a serial (laughs) restaurant franchisee (laughs) like the chipotle king of new jersey You really should be doing those in parallel for one thing. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we won't draw that distinction. Really? We won't dwell on that distinction. Yeah. So the, so the question I want to ask, and I think I want to pose this to you first is things that you've noticed when you've worked for people that perceive themselves to be entrepreneurs, or you've seen CEOs or people that are, you know, are in a position of where they're basically given the, the risk taking authority in an organization like what kind of what kind of stuff do those people do like what pitfalls have you seen in ceos basically uh people that decide to be yeah i've seen i for me the the pitfalls like the common theme among the pitfalls that i've observed are really all have to do around mm, ego or the appearance of ego this general notion that it by virtue of the fact that i am the entrepreneurial heart of this business. I have absolutely internalized that I am this kind of like rogue who is going to eat all this risk for breakfast. And therefore I am really going to lean into the notion that like I can say, I can make wildly outlandish claims. Um, I'm not wrong. I'm just not right yet. Uh, like, it's like they're they're kind of like I see them fall into this trap of like I have to be a visionary, right? Like the thing that the mode in which I operate is that of a visionary, not not as like a functionary. Hmm. And I've seen that that just like chew up and spit out so much like experienced CEOs and new CEOs. Um, I mean, I've also seen CEOs that are incredibly talented at their jobs uh, and very skilled, but the the kind of like the CEOs who are who are at at new companies and are are like definitely still kind of figuring out how they want to embody the entrepreneurial spirit definitely definitely falls into this like how do i wear this visionary hat yeah i want to i want to explore that a little bit because i really like that concept of uh the what i was picturing when you were talking about that was we've talked about how I have sort of like a little bit of a savior complex. So like I might be the Harry Potter, Luke Skywalker figure in my own story. These people are the Han Solo in their story. You know, Mm, they have this sort of Han Solo fantasy of like, never tell me the odds. Like we're going ahead. I'm light speed. Let's do this now. And other people just manage to sort of pull their ass out of the fire just frequently enough that this person can charge into danger aggressively. uh, Mm -hmm. And the reality is those people will probably die. Like Han Solo should have died a hundred times, but this is a work of fiction. So he gets to not die. So that idea of this like Han Solo fantasy and, and that ego sort of playing out, I'm trying to think of ways that I've seen that play out that where you just see that ego or that, um, that appetite for, uh, that appetite for danger and, and, uh, the glory that comes along with charging into that, uh, where, where that manifests. I think, Man, it's hard to talk about this without getting into too many specifics, but <laughs> if I can characterize yeah. it, I think that like one thing I've definitely seen is is a willingness to really make some outlandish claims and then and basically say like we'll we'll back it up later. We'll make it real later. Yeah. But I like I need to aggressively seek the resources and or cachet to make these like ridiculous claims that I've made true. Even, even if it's like gotten to the point where those claims being true, isn't even necessarily a good thing. And in fact, it may have been demonstrated that if those claims do come true, the business will actually be in a worse off position than it is right now. <laughs> but God damn it. I said it. And like, I, I shoot from the hip and I don't ask mm. questions. And like, that's, 
that's the destiny that that we're all like running toward. It is. So there's two things in there. One of them is like the fetishization of being the visionary. And so that plays to the ego of saying, I can paint a picture with my words and other people make it a reality. And that makes me the most important person in the room because none of those people could do, you know, they'll all be just, you know, like they'll all be just smearing their shit on the walls if I'm not telling them, you know, how to pull together and do this. And so there's a baseline assumption of betterness about that. That's real gross, mm -hmm. but also kind of, again, permeates our culture. So the thing that's interesting about that to me is that this thing couldn't exist without the vision of the founder. Like your, mm -hmm. your, this product wouldn't exist. And the other thing that's interesting about this to me is the idea of this whole Theranos thing that just came out yeah. and it was everywhere. Everybody's talking about, there's an HBO documentary. I read the, or I listened to the audiobook about uh, bad blood, which is a really riveting story about how that the pathological case of what you just described is somebody saying, this thing doesn't exist, but theoretically it could. So why don't we just make it exist? But this person has no grounding in reality, no basis, <laughs> no expertise whatsoever. And they, they, as again, this is another thing that we fetishize as an industry is, is the person that's willing to dream the impossible dream. And it literally comes down to the fact that Steve jobs appeared to do this, but Steve jobs was low key, a technical, technical and technological expert. He actually mm -hmm. knew a lot of what was going on under the hood. Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs used to like really dig in and talk about how object oriented programming was going to enable a new paradigm of programming back in the 1980s. And mm -hmm. he really digs in about the technical aspects of the work, but nobody thinks about that. Everybody thinks about how Steve Jobs would just paint the picture and say, throw a laptop on the table and say, make this boot in under a second. Or I've, you know, like, this is ridiculous. Everybody tells those stories, but nobody tells the stories about how he actually understood why that was reasonable that, mm -hmm. Hey, we have the technology over here. Why don't we apply that technology here? And so we have this sense in our industry that the person who's asking the impossible things and then just uh, painting a picture, if they can paint a, a beautiful enough word picture, people will march to that. And because we fetishize what Steve Jobs did in public and not what he did in private to justify that in some way. Mm -hmm. We have this whole culture now of the founder who can demand something impossible and paint a picture of what the future could theoretically be. And boy, that that is absolute. That is literally the, the dictionary definition of hubris. <laughs> yeah, it also uh, that also reminds me that another common thing I've seen in, in cases like this is not only this like fetishization of of like risk taking and, and of of vision but also in the notion that this person in addition to having a vision and being willing to take all sorts of risk is also often convinced that they are just able to really cover every aspect of the business including all the technical ones like of course of course i can i can pitch investors and pitch customers and make strategic partnerships and like do all this stuff. But also we don't, we don't need technical leadership. And also we don't really need that much product leadership. Like, you know, we'll hire someone who's kind of like a, like a stand in, but you know, I'll override them whenever I feel like it. Ooh, uh, yeah. Because like, really like I, I, my vision is so complete that I actually am qualified to weigh in on on all these other parts that I have no actual ability to deliver on at all. Yeah, the the the, uh, the corollary of that, uh, or or this is sort of a companion to that same thing, which is saying my vision is so strong that it qualifies me better to lead than somebody with expertise in this area. And, and mm -hmm. what those people do often I found is they hire patsies and you know how mm -hmm. I know, hi, I'm raising my hand over here. I'm like, <laughs> like several patsy roles where I wasn't experienced yeah. enough to know. I wasn't like yet yeah, ex experienced enough to know that I was being hired as a patsy by a, by a control freak that mm -hmm. thought that the strength of their vision qualified them. And so they were going to hire somebody that had some experience, but not enough to push back on them and say, Hey, I've been doing this a while. You're full of shit. That's a that's an extremely common trope in startups. Mm -hmm. It's definitely one I've seen happen many times. Usually combined with like the one the one or the few good leaders in the company 
uh, probably being driven out just immediately prior to like this this influx of of like patsy VPs or senior yeah. leadership. Yeah, and it, it, it's usually uh, yeah, it's usually right before shit starts hitting the fan. Yeah, uh, because suddenly uh, a lot of the stuff that experienced people have been like kind of protecting the emperor with no clothes. Mm-hmm. It starts it starts getting real clear, uh, real fast. <laughs> so let's go back to like we kind of talked about like some of the the crappy parts of the the pathologies that that entrepreneurs often face. But kind of going back to Sam's question, I think one of the, the way you phrased it when you originally responded was like the the myth of entrepreneurial freedom. Mm-hmm. And so we've talked about like what the grandiose version of that looks like. But what about the version that like sucks people into this in the first place? Yep. Yeah. You wonder, like, do these people start as like hardcore egotists that, that get into this to gratify their ego? And the answer is a lot of times, yeah, they like graduate from some fancy school. Uh, and they, you know, so we, there are legitimately, I wouldn't even call them bad actors. They're just like, uh, they, but they become bad actors just by not, not being in an environment that educates you fast enough and humbles you fast enough. We actually kind of encourage that stuff. But for the majority of business owners, like the, 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 the majority of people that get into this, they mean well. They start mm-hmm. for some reason that, that is much more noble than this. But these are, like you said, these are all pathologies that I think afflict every business owner to some degree or other. But it could be liber- like really low level. Like, oops, I was playing into my ego here. Oops, I was playing the visionary founder. Oops, I wasn't delegating and trying to control everything. Even when you do mean well. Uh, and those are all, but we, you and I have seen the, the pathological extreme cases of those yeah. things. And it would be, you know, it's both helps illustrate those things that exist in all, all founders, but also like, mm, unfortunately, if you work in startups, it's kind of the majority use case. So, but let's say you're a small, you know, you're a small business owner and you bought into this because you're like, well, why, why do people start a business? Like what's the, I've talked to several people about this recently and I get different answers from people and they're fascinating. Like why start a business in the first place? Like what, what do you think would cause somebody to do that? I, I don't know. Like I saw, like, like I, this is always a thing I struggle with because lots of people obviously think it's a good idea. And it seems like such a wildly unappealing concept to me. But my, my guess is that people start a business for one of two reasons. One is they think that they have a really good idea Two, and like, this is the one I think of more, although this may fall back into the business owner versus entrepreneur distinction. The other reason I think of is just freedom. I don't like I'm I'll be my own boss. Yeah. I I mean, we're conditioned to want that specific kind of autonomy. We're conditioned to hate our bosses and not just conditioned to like, I think it's the default mode. If you've never not had a boss, all you know is your boss makes decisions that you don't understand. They're probably doofuses in some way. My dad actually explained it to me once when I was uh, working for him. Ironically, he's like, son, I think you're doomed to be an entrepreneur because what happens is you get sick of working for idiots and then eventually you realize they're all fucking idiots. <laughs> that uh, That is ironic given that your your dad was the boss in that scenario. And, and um, may I say a complete tool <laughs> in that situation. <laughs> I don't think he, if he was, if he's listening, I love you dad, but you know, uh, he, he was the idiot in that, in that scenario. Um, hopefully 10 years has been uh, very educational for all of us. And, uh, it's autonomy. It's freedom. It's the ability to do what you were constrained from doing earlier. It's freedom mm-hmm. from these sh- shackles and these constraints that you had been under. Uh, you had to code a certain way. If you were, you know, if, if you care about code quality, now you're free to write code of the, whatever quality you believe is right. Uh, mm-hmm. if it was the kinds of projects that you were allowed to work on. You're now free to work on the types of projects you want to work on. If it's the type of culture you want. And that was mine. Mine was when I, when I struck out to go build a company, it was, I am so sick of working for places with toxic cultures. I'm going to build a better one. I'm going to build a culture where I want to build the workplace I always wanted. And I think that's the common, like, and I was actually looking for the idea to pair that with, that I had cultural goals. I think that's a very common case for entrepreneurs or, or business owners saying, I just want to build the kind of place I actually would want to work in because I haven't found it. And I've looked around for a while. So that's a very compelling story to, to buy mm-hmm. into. And, and now instead of painting a picture of 
the impact uh, that this specific project or work is going to have on the world, like, hey, you know, we're going to take a drop of blood and be able to save people's lives and whatever that was total horseshit. Uh, or uh, I think from a recent DHH article where he talks about Dropbox's vision of empowering the world through creativity. And he's like, fuck you guys, you, you're a file cabinet, you know, like <laughs> just, you're just being, can you just be okay just being a good file cabinet? But you have to marry something. And what I had married was this idea of creating a workplace where people are invested in and valued and uh, treated not like a resource, but as a, an investment vehicle and as a fundamental component that people's humanness is a fundamental component of the work that we do together. Mm-hmm. And that was really important to me. That was, and that, you know, you can probably attest to this. It didn't wind up manifesting as the best business in the world. yeah it turns out a a crucial crucial element of being able to invest in the careers and well-being of and the quality of the workplace uh for those people really requires like a pretty steady stream of income (laughs) but could you skip the first few levels of maslow's hierarchy needs and we'll just focus on the self-actualization stuff don't worry about the safety and all that stuff underneath. Yeah, you, like you may be starving and cold. Yeah, but boy, you're gonna feel you're gonna feel a deep, deep sense of fulfillment. Yeah, you will not. I cannot promise you're gonna pay your mortgage, but I can promise when you are at work, you're going to be able to choose whatever flavor of Topo Chico you want. <laughs> Topo Chico is really good. Though. It is really good. So yeah, that's the that's the probably the biggest one, right? The biggest fallacy is the uh, this idea of freedom, this this illusion of freedom, uh, and as you can imagine, those con- the the new constraints uh, are there to welcome you with open arms, like so you you start a business to free yourself from the constraints. There's there's mm-hmm. almost unless unless you, all you're going for is status, there's almost nothing else in it for you. The money's mm-hmm. almost always worse. Uh, the risks much higher there. It's all downsides, baby. It's just all downsides except the potentially unlimited upside later and the autonomy. Those are both total, total illusions. So we, we make, we basically shake hands with the devil on this in a, in a weird way where it, somebody that goes off to start a, start a business thinks that they're doing so that, Hey, well, you know, and someday if this makes me rich, that's fine too. Like there's this like whole pile of delusions that you buy into when you go start a business. Like I'm going to do all this. I'm going to have all this freedom and this is going to wind up potentially paying off really wildly for me uh, because there is unlimited upside in starting a business. You have a firm limited upside when you go work for somebody else, you know, your maximum income, they, you know, it's, they're not going to pay you a million dollars a year to do what you do, but there are people that start businesses and figure out how to make it, make them a million dollars a year. Mm Mm-hmm. So all of those things sort of combine and make and the and the romanticization of it, the uh, the ego boost of being able to say I'm an entrepreneur, business owner, CEO of you know one person corp. All of those things happen, and so even the most well-meaning people fall into these sort of logical fallacies to you know to some really painful lessons later when you start encountering those constraints immediately, basically because yeah. you're like constraint one, where's the fucking money? Where's the money? Where's it going to come from? Yeah, man. I mean, I do hear sometimes people talk about like you talked about uh, Adam Wavin on a recent episode of this podcast. He's the author of Tailwind, in addition to like several other things. And he has a podcast. He's also frequently a guest on another podcast called The Art of Product, where he The Art of Product is basically these two people who have both started businesses and Adam Mathen is a friend of theirs and he'll come on and be a guest. And they basically are all just kind of talking about like the stuff that they're working on. And sometimes he talk like he, he is more, the other two, the two main hosts are starting like software companies and, and Adam is more in the, like he sold courses. He wrote a book. He's done all sorts of stuff that he's like marketed and sold and been very successful at. And there are times where it's like, man, like that sounds appealing because he's not, he's not like creating a business that has to sustain over time. He's not creating a product or hiring staff. He's like selling these. He's just like making stuff and selling it and Mm -hmm. moving on to the next thing. And there is that, that notion of like, huh, 
you know, if, if you could like work and then suddenly just like make 800 grand in the span of three months because you sold a shit ton of stuff, then you won't make any money for another year and a half while you work on the next thing. But you're good enough at it that you can keep doing that and living off of it. Well, hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I want people like that to succeed, but also I want to put the asterisk on that and say results not typical. Yeah. Those results aren't typical. There, there is something where um, I saw a tweet from Patrick McKenzie that really kind of changed how I advise people that talk about starting a business. So it, it used to be like, especially when I was like deep in the throes of burnout of uh, owning the business that I ran at the time, I would, you know, strongly like check people and be like, why do you want to do this? Are you sure? Is this an ego play? Like, what are you really trying to do here? And Patrick McKenzie writes uh, in, in a tweet a couple years back. Oh, many years, but five years back, the likely outcome for a skilled professional going into business for themselves is not failure. It is a fulfilling, successful career and played on the long scale. I can say that's absolutely true mm-hmm. um, that that you and, and I hope that people can kind of like unclench their stomachs a little bit when they think about this. If you have started or are running a business, there's a sense probably that and I want to cover this later, but there's a sense that failure is the worst thing that can happen to you. And the mm-hmm. fact is there's very little that I can, that can actually really hurt you in this. I've seen genuine worst case scenarios in, in business land, like real worst case scenarios, like bankruptcy level lawsuit shit. And those people survive and they will go on to have a happy and successful, fulfilling career. They didn't become homeless. You know, life, life will go on there. You're, you're like likely in a position of enough privilege. If you decide to start a business that you're that, that privilege isn't going to just poof evaporate. And, and so there, there's this uh, over-dramatized sense that I think people get of what failure, what the consequences of failure would be. And that is a lot of what intimidates some people out of going into business. So like the counter thing to this is like, I want to make sure that when we talk about what a pain in the ass it is to, to run a business, that I'm not discouraging people from trying it because that's I, my belief is very much that that's true, that what Patrick says is true. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. This may be like a departure from... I don't know where you're where you're you're hoping to end up, but I, I have a question. So okay. you can you can veto or or we can, you know, whatever. We can go with it. We'll see. Going back to like originally when we started talking about this, you drew this distinction and we said, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna rely too much on that distinction for the rest of the episode. But it it has me thinking. Um, it's this notion of like a business owner versus an entrepreneur and, and more, more interestingly, the fact that entrepreneurs are kind of celebrated and, and like lionized, whereas, you know, small business owners, quote unquote, are kind of frowned upon. And like, ever since you said that, I've been, I've been thinking about that in the context of all the other stuff you've been saying. I wonder why that is. Why is it that, especially, I mean, we're really talking specifically like in the, you know, in the tech industry, why in the tech industry is it that entrepreneurs are, even though like you kind of said, like they're actually not that far apart, but there's this like one meaningful distinction that makes it so that one is, is often kind of this like pariah and the other is, is very much held up as an ideal. Mm -hmm. I have a very clear answer to this. And I, okay. I'm guessing you know the answer to this too. I have an idea. Okay. It's probably not the same thing that you're going to say. Okay. I think, I think we'll land in the same place. So what's, what's okay. your thinking? What do you think? Do you, I think you should answer first because my answer is a big ass can of worms. Okay. Well, mine is too. So, uh, so I want to preface this by saying I didn't expect to make this distinction for the rest of the episode because we're really talking primarily about business ownership and not straight up entrepreneurship. Because my belief is that our industry needs more business owners and fewer entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Like we're full up. Thank you. In fact, fuck you. Um, yeah. Like, like I've, I've worked with enough entrepreneurs that, that describe themselves as serial entrepreneurs that, uh, that sell, that are in it for the identify, uh, to, to identify as entrepreneurs that are in it to, to get the merit badge that are in it to take the big risks that view themselves as the Han Solo. And I have fucking had it. (laughs) I've had it. Yeah. And these people take a larger, they have displaced business owners in our industry, in the culture because of VC money, because these people are the bet. 
the because we can chew up 99 wannabe entrepreneurs for the one that makes it for the and it's what lets Travis Kalanick type assholes win the game mm -hmm. because you can have, you know, 100 assholes and one of them is so just ravenously ambitious and is willing to throw themselves, throw their ethics, throw everything on the fire for capital and for uh, success to generate a return for their VCs. And that is the entire, that culture feeds on itself. It is one of the few things in this industry that makes me so animated that I'm willing to absolutely take a public stand about it. Fuck that culture. That is, it's become extremely toxic and I'm super sick of working for companies that, that feed into and, and draw lifeblood from that culture. Brandon, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> is that the can of worms you were worried about opening up? I'm so excited to just get extremely on my bullshit <laughs> and, and talk about a thing that you just like, you, you just said it so well. But have you ever heard of a guy named Antonio Gramsci? No. Okay. He is an Italian philosopher. And more specifically, he is a neo-Marxist. Like basically, a bunch of economics stuff. Okay. Okay. So he was like, this is like after Marx, this is after communism. Think of like Marx had this idea that like... It, is, it, it will it will eventually be the case that like all of the the proletariat will realize that they have literally nothing to lose because of the way capitalism has screwed them that they will eventually just like rise up and overthrow the capitalist system and then hopefully communism will will like come out of that and that, that like clearly didn't happen yeah over and over uh, again it didn't happen yeah over and over France again, tried it, it like a hundred times and so Gramsci was like huh, that's weird. Like, why you can see these dynamics that, that exist. Like, you know, Marx was, like, part philosopher, but also part economist and historian. Like, he was actually observing real trends in human history and, and seeing, you know, all of this stuff where it was like, oh, these, these relations do exist. Why is it that people keep putting up with them? What is that? And so he, he started trying to figure out, like, well, what is it that makes people keep engaging in the system, even if it's not within, like, their best interests? And so after doing a bunch of, I don't know, thinking or studying or whatever, he eventually came up with this concept of cultural hegemony. And the idea of cultural hegemony is that culture is the means by which those economic relations are maintained and grown and propagated throughout society. More specifically, there is a culture, an ideology that is built that essentially like mythologizes a whole bunch of things about how life is and how life ought to be that allows people to tell themselves like, yeah, this sucks, but this is like this is what this is what things are sometimes. Sometimes it just is hard. Or in other cases, oh, well, this is what it looks like before you succeed. Yeah. People start from the bottom and they work all the way up. It do be like uh, this sometimes. Yeah. Like, like this, this, this is how it looks. And this is what life is like. And gosh, sometimes that's just tough. But you know what? Like, this, this is a lesson I have been told many times that this is, this is how things are and that this is not an obstacle Right, there is not some kind of like systemic structural thing blocking me from success. This is just my circumstances. Right. And it is a thing that people do to overcome their circumstances and, and you know, as, like ascend to greatness. Right. So it's our, it's our, I mean, and this is very, very easy to translate into like American, uh, Americanism where it's like, uh, we have the, the pursuit of happiness movie with Will Smith where mm -hmm. he's, you know, crying in homeless in a bathroom with his son before he becomes a millionaire because everybody in America that is poor is a temporarily embarrassed millionaire. That's our story. Yeah. Is that we're all yeah. we're all millionaires waiting to happen. We just need to to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps uh and do the right kind of work and then uh I've been in yes, I've I've definitely it is almost a religion, right? If we if we pray the right prayer uh to the capitalism 
and we do the right works to the capitalism, we will. And and the, I say this as a person, I still believe myself to be a capitalist. So don't, you know, I don't want to be misinterpreted as a person trying to, uh, you know, try, trying to, but I also think that it deserves to be uh, inspected uh, and, and criticized. And so, yeah, here we, here we are. We have, we basically, when you say cultural hegemony, I think of like, essentially it's our star Wars fairy tale about how, how things are supposed to be, how they should look Mm -hmm. and what the ending of the story will be for us. If we're really, if we, if we are actually following the story correctly and you, you go to that, you go to bed every night with that bedtime story. So, so to go one step further, and this is like, I'm kind of like leading you somewhere because you kind of already said it or you touched on it. So what Gramsci was saying was that cultural hegemony is not just, it's not just a, a thing that happens uh, organically or, or, or by surprise, but that cultural hegemony is, is the result of a system that is defined by a, a, a set of, of rulers, a set yeah. of like, you know, a higher class of people or whatever. And that, it is the system that they use to essentially like convince everyone else that, that the system that they exist in is the right one. So rather than using like violence or force or something else to coerce people into doing it, they convince them that this is like the thing that they ought to be doing. This is like, you know, the like classical notion of like ideology. So what I was thinking was going back to the distinction between business owners and entrepreneurs why are business owners frowned upon and mm. entrepreneurs are held up? Oh, yeah. Like, who would stand to benefit from that? What is it about the tech industry? What is it about the system that we exist in that would make it so that small business owners would be a thing we want to discourage, but entrepreneurship in this risk-taking, visionary, all this other crap we've talked about would be a thing that we would want to idealize, even though... We know that for most people, the small business owner, like the patio 11 quote, you said the small business owner goal is one that might actually pan out for most people. Whereas the entrepreneur one could easily chew you up and spit you out. So what could it be that, that would, that would cause like this relationship? Yeah. Who, who makes up this, who decides that it is far nobler to die storming the beaches of Normandy and be one of the bodies littering that beach than to farm and live a life of sustenance, right? That is ignoble, whereas it is noble to go die on the beach. That's the story, right? Mm -hmm. And there is a, you know, obviously less dramatic version playing out in entrepreneur circles. Like absolutely the trick is so that that one is in pursuit of glory, right? That we all kind of we have an innate desire to, to for our lives to have meant something, and so they play to that and tell us the story that that's where glory is. Well, in entrepreneurship, you get to play the glory card and you get to play the money card. You get to play the greed card. So, like, if you like if you like glory and you like millions of dollars, come play this game, and they will you know don't worry about the odds. You're Han Solo. Never tell me the odds. And the, and the, and the entrepreneurs that are basically the agrarians of like, Hey, listen, I plant seeds and then food comes out and I take it to the market and sell it. And I live a pretty cool life. And my, my risk was minimal. And, and, uh, somebody else is over there saying, yeah, but all the opportunity, all the upside and all the glory is in the risk taking. So yes, who stands to benefit from that? It is the people that are already holding the buckets of money that they basically take this group of people that they themselves are risking their entire livelihoods on uh, and then use those people as like assets to amortize against each other and aggregate that as a, and then securitize it and go on average, when I grind these people into a pulp and uh, you know, uh, wreck 99 careers for the, for the one that does make it, uh, it seems like I get about an eleven percent uh, year-over-year yield, which is better than other securities that I might invest in. So this is a financial instrument that works for me. Yeah, smash cut to like the tweet from some like some VC manager talking about how like if your company is only growing two x year-over-year, go fuck yourself because you're already a failure. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> Which I've already like I've definitely seen several several different versions of. And in like you, you start to wonder like 
man, okay, like we definitely fetishize the notion of like Silicon Valley unicorns. We talk about how like hockey stick growth. Who hasn't heard the term hockey stick growth? Mm-hmm. I remember there was there was an episode or a podcast series called Startup that was about Gimlet, the mm-hmm. podcast network. Which is I highly recommend that. It's a lot of fun. It is really good. And there there's a scene, like a I don't know, I guess it's a scene. It's not like a fictional story, but it's still kind of a scene where where Alex Bloomberg, the the founder, one of the founders of Gimlet, is talking to one of his investors. And Alex is talking about basically like, yeah, I mean, you know, I think we're doing pretty good and and it would be cool if we were able to, you know, increase our revenue by like a hundred and hundred percent. Wouldn't that be great? And the investor's like, not for me, it wouldn't. I didn't like I didn't get into this business. I didn't invest in you for like a steady return. That's a lifestyle business. And you can hear like this, like, you know, just like this hatred like dripping from his mouth as he's saying lifestyle business. And like I'm here for a 10x return, a hundred X return. And like going back to, to if if Gramsci is to be believed that there is like this this like ideology being being spread throughout the industry for someone's gain, you don't have to look too hard before you start seeing all these investors who are the ones absolutely leading the charge on like lifestyle businesses are shit if you if if you want to start a business that supports you and your family and lets you live a nice comfortable life you're an asshole get out of my industry like the only the the only real return is you know 10x year over year growth and a hundred billion dollar exit or like get the fuck out of here yeah and we all know that that doesn't happen and a lot of people destroy themselves in pursuit of that goal and 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 won't even won't even entertain the notion of a quote unquote lifestyle business, despite the fact that that's probably a very attainable goal that will probably leave them much better off than when they started. Yep. It's the Mr. Glass actual philosophy, you know, from uh, unbreakable where it's, you're justified in killing hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of people. If you can find one superhero uh-huh. that it's, it's completely justified. Like, and, and by some twisted logic, that's true. And so, but you just have to value human life at near zero uh, and you're good. (laughs) And so that, that whole philosophy doesn't really work for me because I don't value people's careers at zero and I don't view human beings and their dreams as fungible uh, or Mm. as amortizable assets. And so I, I really, really struggle against the VC culture. And so that's why I guess I almost pretend it doesn't exist because the kind of people that I tend to associate with primarily are people that might classify themselves as business owners and might say the word entrepreneur, but they're what I'm describing as a business owner, that these are people that's because the fact is like, so I want to take that and kind of put it on a shelf for now, because like there's, there's another hour of content just railing against what, what a shit show that is. And it's actually the fuel for probably many future podcasts for us because the knock-on effects of that and surviving the knock-on effects of that is actually a job requirement for people that decide Mm -hmm. to work in this industry. And so we're going to cover that a bunch, I feel like, over the coming you know, episodes. So for now, I want to talk more directly to the people that have, have are curious about or have decided that running a business and being a business owner and saying, OK, I'm, I'm not going to fall into the 100x pit and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be having a conversation about Series A with somebody because uh, I'm not interested in, you know, uh, charging the beaches of Normandy for some asshole. So assuming, you know, you are are thinking about that or you've already made that decision and you are running a business like this still is super hard. It's super hard to build a lifestyle for yourself on your own steam and find customers for yourself and sell products for yourself and make enough money to uh, compete with what you might make as a programmer in this industry. Uh, it's a very uh, we're very fortunate in that way, but it also makes it uh, feel very risky to go out and strike out on your own and to try to like build the same kind of income stream that you might, you can't make a living on, you know, selling a set of eBooks that only return you, you know, 800, $1,500 a month. Uh, that sounds awesome, but you can't make a living doing that. And you'll just keep feeding that machine new things, trying to figure out like how to make it make uh, sense to not have a full-time job. So that type of person I just want to make sure that like if somebody's doing that, that the, the, the freedom that they're sort of seeking out is real, 
that they're not indulging in some fantasy. Like one of the fantasies obviously is the, you know, the glory and the the financial upside stuff, which I think if those are all you're chasing, you are very vulnerable to pitches by people saying, oh yeah, you should just, you should, in, you know, put all your dreams over here in the VC world. But even, even without that, even with like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to sell information products and start a consultancy, or I have this idea for a software as a service that I think I can charge enough money for to, you know, keep food at my table. All of those things are great, but you have to be really careful about one thing. And one thing I had thought about covering was like, hey, how do you know when you're supposed to sort of pack it in? And I don't think that's actually that useful. I think the, what's more valuable and more useful is being able to ask the question, what is it that I really want versus what is it that I'm sort of conditioned to think I'm supposed to want? Mm -hmm. And you seem, this is why I always like having these conversations with you because you seem impervious to this to me. I am very much raised by a person who trained me to think that entrepreneurship was my destiny, that I'm supposed to want that. I think our culture does that a lot. And, I, and so I don't know how much of it is unique to me, but I know that I've talked to a lot of other people that feel similarly that weren't raised by somebody constantly saying, hey, someday you need to be running your own business. Yeah. Uh, there's this, this sense that you're supposed to want this. I mean, man, you know, like you say that and I realize when I was in elementary school, there were two different events. If, like uh, One of them was like an event. One of them was like a, an initiative, I guess. But I remember it was called like, like Eureka Day or something. It was like when I was in first grade, and it was literally like first grade. It was we're going to explain to you what an inventor is, and then we're gonna have like a thing where like anyone who wants to participate in like trying to invent something can invent something. And it's going to be like, you know, it's like field day, but it's like Eureka day. And so like first grade, you are, you are being taught, like, this is an inventor. This is a special thing we're going to have come up with your own interesting idea. And like, like, you know, hashtag like ship it. Basically, this is like public school. I did not go to some like weird charter school or anything. And this is your Montessori and then like school. fourth, third, third, third grade, fourth grade. We had this is where I learned the word entrepreneur because we had entrepreneur week where like classes were basically suspended for an entire week. And my entire fourth grade year, like, you know, not just my class, but all of the classes were like split into businesses where we got fake money and like real, like, like, uh, like plastic coins and monopoly money. And we had to come up with a product, a real product then we then we had like a budget and like parents like pitched in like a little bit of money and we had to like make our actual product. And then like starting on Monday, we had ideas and a budget and we had to do all the accounting and stuff building up to Friday, having like a thing in the gym where all of the companies came with their actual real products and sold them to all of the other students in the school. Hmm. And so like, <laughs> I mean, this is just public school. Like, like those two experiences are, it's crazy to me to think about now that like that notion of like starts like step one inventing is, is like a virtue mm -hmm. that everyone should try and engage in. And step two is like, we're going to suspend classes for everyone to like learn experientially about starting and running a business and creating a new product. As a like as small children, it's just so weird to me now to think about in the context of this conversation. It's funny because I have a ten year old that like constantly is asking me if he can like try his business ideas out. And I'm like, I don't know, man. This sounds like a pain in the ass. Like, <laughs> I'm not very. Whatever happened to a lemonade stand, kid? Yeah, I, he no, he really wants to start a lemonade stand. Like, he he will pull out all the stops. He wants to do anything, anything about making money, and. That idea of sort of indoctrinating kids with this being like like raw, pure, unadulterated virtue is interesting. And and it kind of feeds into my question is like, should, you know, like I, we're all taught that we should do this, right? That this is virtuous and that you are 
job creators, quote unquote, in our society are the highest form of uh, existence, really. Like the highest form of economic existence is creating jobs for other people. And there is, you know, there's some value to that philosophy. You could, you know, you can, uh, some people I know that are not hardcore capitalists are into job creation as an idea. Like, uh, how do I, how do I distribute wealth? Well, I can, in this society, you create jobs and try not to exploit them if you can avoid it. <laughs> that idea of participating in the economy in that way is interesting and it changes how you view the rest of your career. And I, I kind of want to revisit that patio 11 quote, but I, I want to think about what you said for a second first. So it's totally wild that we would take small children and like ask them, how would you, you know, how would you do this? And, and give them the tools to do this. Like what I'm trying to think of what is the, what's the intention there? What are they trying to do? Yeah. I mean, my, my take on it is that I think that there's like, there's two levels, right? There's, there's one level where you can kind of view it as this experiential learning thing where really what you're going to learn about is you're going to have to do some math, like some basic math. It's going to kind of apply a lot of the like addition and subtraction and you know stuff that you've been learning as a third grader or whatever. And you're going to have to work on a team and you're going to have to write because you have to like write out a business plan and you know like you have to do a bunch of very basic like almost mechanical things. And it's just, you know, it's a convenient way to to have you put all of a lot of the stuff that you've been learning so far into practice in one kind of holistic setting. However, I'm pretty sure that there's other ways that you could do that that don't involve also like literally being a gym, like a little microcosm of capitalism in the school gym. <laughs> if you wanted to just take all of those things and put them into practice, I don't think it has to be in terms of like creating and, and running a business and selling stuff right you could uh, you could you could get together and design and build a cathedral uh yeah yeah, yeah. and you are of course at the end judged by who sold the most right. like you they absolutely have a leaderboard of your profits at the end yeah uh and so like the other part of it to me is like this is it is of course in the interest of of like i kept pointing out like this is public school isn't that isn't that just bonkers but it's like, actually, it makes the most sense that it's public school, because if public, if like part of the job of public school is to inculcate all of the population into like the values and norms of society, it makes perfect sense that you would, at a very young age, like introduce the entire, like all of the kids to a core, but like a core piece of what it is to live in American society. Yeah. You and you and I had a conversation earlier today about hills and that I'll die on and hills I won't. And uh, this is one where I kind of am okay accepting things as they are. I love questioning it. But in this case, I'm like, mm, I feel like accepting and modifying and beating it up and questioning it and and seeing if there's a path through rather than like, you know, I totally get the people that are like burn it and start over like, hey, I, I respect that. But uh, that's, that's not my, that's not my default approach. And, and as such, like if a person wants to be really successful in any role. So when Patrick McKenzie said the likely outcome for a skilled professional is going into business for themselves is not failure. It's a fulfilling, successful career. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a thriving, successful business, but you're going to learn the rules of this game. You're going to know the rules. So like you got a little taste of it. And I don't know that kids is the appropriate age because it's not an opt-in thing. Uh, kids don't have the ability to sort of discern the the values and drawbacks and they don't have any you know intrinsic values to compare this against. And that's kind of unfair. But as an adult, if you decide to go play that game in real life, which I guess that's the thing I would love to get across to people is that is basically what you're doing. And it feels scary because you're playing a game that involves your own personal income. But the reality is the income is going to exist either way. And running a business was a massive investment in my future income because my ability to figure out how to parlay my work into uh, income uh, after running a business is astronomically better after running a business and understanding what markets, you know, demand and pay. And the lessons I learned in running a business dramatically reshaped how I approach my work from here on out. I'm a vastly more valuable employee and I'm vastly better at 
claim, reclaiming some of that value. I think running a business teaches those things in tangible ways that are difficult to achieve otherwise. Now, if we lived in a society that didn't demand that of people, that you had, you know, universal basic income and I could explore whatever my dreams were otherwise, like that sounds all fucking great. Uh, but as it is, this is a society we live in and, and running a business is something I do strongly recommend for people, especially if you can take that mindset. This is going to be tremendously educational. It'll probably be very painful as most good education is, uh, but it, it will yield great results and it could turn into uh, a thriving and successful business as well. If you're, you know, if you're doing it right, the risk of that falling apart on you seems, you know, it's uh, better than one out of 10, worse than one out of two, somewhere in that range. Like you have a really solid chance versus VC funded startups, which are like less than one in a hundred. So, so the, that's basically what I want people to, if, if people could take that away, that all the, all the shit that I'm talking about, like running a business and yeah, you may have to, you're going to have a day where you have to face facts and say, this business doesn't deserve to exist anymore because the purpose of this business was to teach me things and to bring me joy. And it's not doing any of those things in the yield on that investment isn't coming back for me anymore. And you're going to have to face that fact. And that's an extremely painful moment. But up, up until that point, there's a lot of really cool shit that happens. And then past that point, there's a way more cool shit that happens. So if, if people take away anything from this, it is if you are considering running a business, you don't have to have the big idea. You don't have to sell it to VCs. You don't have to convince anybody of anything. You just have to want to achieve the educational benefits of trying to participate in this economy in that way. That should be the takeaway. Like from, from, from what both of us were saying, the real takeaway is ignore all that bullshit about how if you go into business for yourself, it's for nothing but the unbelievable glory of 100x returns or infinite freedom. Yep. And instead view it as like a learning and growing experience and one that may well come to an end and that's totally okay and may not turn out the way you thought it was going to when you went into it and that's also okay. Yeah. And there's something that I think I almost, I almost hesitate to bring it up because it, it kind of deserves its own space and we'll probably bring it up again and talk about it again later. Is it Marxism? Do you want to talk about Marxism I, again? I don't. We're good. <laughs> we, met, we met our quota. Um, I will just say one last thing about this, that the thing that burned me out running a business was a sense that my job was just to run away from failure as fast as you can. And there's a life lesson in there. I want to explore this in another conversation someday. But the real gist of it is running from the, the demon dogs, which is a concept I stole from Merlin Mann and back to work like 10 years ago, that there's a sense that you're being chased by demon dogs and you've got to work your way away from it. I spent my entire business life running from those demon dogs of failure of mm -hmm. I can't fail. I can't fail. I can't fail. I can't bear to fail. I can't I can't I can't tolerate failure. I can't live through failure. I must not fail. And when I was talking to uh, on Twitter, when I was talking to Sam Selikoff, he was talking about the stuff that was like kind of burning him out. And it had very little to do with the demon dog stuff that I was experiencing. But I've definitely seen this in a lot of other business owners that running away from failure is the thing that causes them to appear to succeed. And it will throw off a lot of heat and light, but it is absolutely not sustainable. I don't know anybody that really, truly survives that. The sacrifices involved in that approach to running a business is just too great. It costs mm -hmm. in your relationships. It costs your health. Uh, it's very, very, very expensive. Running from failure is not an, uh, a sustainable approach to trying to achieve success. And if I try this again, I want to be able to approach it like we talked about earlier of like just navigating like, hey, we are setting sail, but we're not setting sail to try to avoid rocks. We're trying to discover something, you know, it's about learning. This is supposed to be a learning experience and supposed to be uh, exploration of opportunity. We're supposed to be discovering where opportunities are and not avoiding failure. I'm not sure if that's going to work. I just know that the other way doesn't work for me. Yeah. I like that. Not running away from failure. What was it? Don't run away from failure. Navigate toward opportunity. Yeah. 
That's real nice. Yeah, I I want I want to talk more about demon dog stuff because I think that ev- that's more that's pretty relatable whether or not you're an entrepreneur. But that just really it was running a business that drove that home for me because it just mm-hmm. it literally caused me to not sleep at night most nights. Yeah, and so I know I know there are people out there running businesses that don't have that mentality, and God bless them. You know, it tells <laughs> me that it might be possible to exist in some other way. But so many entrepreneurs and business owners I know live through that approach. That kind of tells me that there is uh, some of the status wrapped up in that, that you can't fail because you can't, you're not going to get the merit badge that you wanted. Uh, And the reason you got into this was for the merit badge. And so failure means that you don't get, you know, this, the thing that you wanted doesn't happen. But if the thing that you want is education, there's no chance of that not happening. So you can, you know, a lot of the stress is taken away and then the stress is purely financial. uh, And there are ways to sort of mitigate that as well. So yeah, for anybody out there that's considering it, please do try it. It's really cool and it can be really fun and it's really rewarding. It's how I met Chris. So kind of badass. That's true. That's true. I keep yeah. quoting that video. There's this really weird video. I'll have to post it in our show notes of there's this really weird video of these uh, people doing a very f- weird form of quasi spiritual Americanized yoga. And one of the ladies keeps saying, that's true. And just Wait, is it the two ladies talking to a tree? Yes, they're talking to a tree. Oh, my God. That that I I, I think you showed that to me recently. Yeah. And I watch several of them in just utter disbelief uh yeah the remix is the what i would watch because the music part of it is fun and then uh, you don't have to sit there listening and the tree says that's not cool (laughs) anyway i feel like talking to trees is probably an appropriate way to wrap that up yeah that's good well, we uh, we took a bunch of time, but I hope it was worth the journey. Everybody here, thank you so much for listening. We love you, and we love hearing from you. We love hashtag engaging with you on hashtag Twitter. And it's the best. Please do hit us up at copy paste pod. And uh, we'd love to talk more. And, and it always turns into really rich conversations where I learn a lot. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. I am Tev Viking on Twitter. And I'm 15 Letter Max. And if you want to help the podcast, obviously tell your friends about it. Uh, rate and review us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Otherwise, we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye.